All right. How many um, glasses, contact lens wearers, and uh, or if you've had your vision corrected by LASIK surgery, how many? How many of those folks in the room this morning? A good portion of you guys, right? Well, I've been uh, I've been wearing contacts and glasses since I was in uh, since I was in seventh grade. And uh, as you can see, I'm pretty good at this by now. I've done it a few million times in my life. And I am uh, what you might call blind. I mean, I cannot. I'm minus five in one eye, minus six. I don't really know what that means. But uh, it's not good. In fact, I can't. Is anybody here? Did you guys leave? (laughs) I am Mr. Magoo. Remember him? Remember this guy? Now... I, I literally, I can see that there are blobs of people here, but I couldn't tell you who anyone is. I'm really worried I'm going to fall over. It's, it, it, I know there's something there, but I can't really make out what it is. Can you, can you, can you relate to that? If you're an eyeglass wearer or contact, you can relate to that, right? I mean, you can't, I can't see the alarm clock in the morning and I can't, and I've got one that's got like letters like this big on it too, you know? You can't, it's frustrating, isn't it? I mean, to, to know there's something there and not be able to see it is frustrating. I mean, I'm now I've got, you know, I've got the contacts and I've got the glasses and I'm getting to the age where my frustration now lies in seeing things that are in small print in dark places like labels and stuff like that, or like these little print Bibles that I've got. My, I mean, I got long arms, but I don't know if they're long enough to make it through. But there's something about when your vision comes into focus, isn't there? I mean, to go from this, which is really frustrating, to this, and they're stylish too. (laughs) To go to this is great. To be able to see clearly is amazing. I remember when I got my first pair of glasses, I was, again, I was in seventh grade, and I didn't have any idea I was nearsighted. They gave us the, you know, the standard eye test at school, you know, where you're looking at the chart, and I'm trying to read stuff, and it wasn't happening, so they said, oh, you need to go to the, to the eye doctor, and so I did that, got my first pair of glasses. I read every sign on the way home. It was great. I said, Mom, look at the sign. Look what it says. Look at the sign over here. I could see everything, and it was clear. It was exhilarating. It was awesome. Being able to see physically is, is, is awesome. But being able to have a vision in your life is also awesome. Having a clear vision is so important. It's important in the corporate world, isn't it? If many of you are employed by companies and and if, if, if you search, I'm sure you can find that that company somewhere has a, a vision statement or a mission statement or a purpose statement. They use all different kinds of names for them. But they have something that they're about, something that they're trying to accomplish. And when corporations know who they are and what they're trying to accomplish, they tend to have success. When they deviate from that, they tend to experience failure. I think the most recent case study in that is the company Starbucks. They had a very specific uh, mission. They deviated from that mission, and it got them in a load of trouble. And now they're trying to course correct and get back 
online. You see that happen all the time. Anytime a corporation gets in trouble, typically it's because they've deviated from who they are. So it's important in the corporate world. It's also important in our life. Here we sit, January 3rd, just a few days into the new year. How many of you made a New Year's resolution? Good portion of you, maybe half. You something that you said, hey, you know what? In 2010, I'm going to focus on this. My life's a little blurry. Let me put these on and let me focus on this particular aspect of my life. That's important too. It's important for us to have some type of a vision for our life. Listen to me. We're all going somewhere. And unless we're intentional about where we're going, we may end up somewhere where we don't want to be. So it's important for us to be intentional in our personal life about the direction that we're uh, trying to go, what we're trying to achieve. I think it's important for you to have a vision for your personal life. It's also extremely important for a church to have a vision. Each church, I think, that exists should have a vision for what they are trying to accomplish. Maybe you noticed the passage that flashed up on the screen during the video, it's found in the book of Proverbs. It's Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18. The first part of that verse says this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. So according to the Bible, according to this passage, vision is a life and death thing. It's an important thing, isn't it? Where there is no vision, the people perish. Again, it's important in a corporation for a corporation to have a particular vision. Without it, corporations die. If they deviate from it, if they get off course, they're going to die. In our personal life, if we don't have a vision for our personal life, we're going to flounder. We're just going to muddle through, follow the crowd, instead of being intentional about what we want to achieve, where we think God desires for us to go. And without it, churches die as well. Now, the doors may be open, services may be held each and every Sunday, but if a church doesn't have a particular vision for what God desires for them to accomplish, they're just going through the motions. They're playing at church instead of trying to fulfill a vision that God has for them. Every single one of us, every single corporation, every single church needs a sense of who they are and what they're trying to accomplish. Let's define vision this way, this morning, if you want to write this down. Vision is seeing beyond the right now and into what can and should be. That's what vision is. Seeing beyond the right now into what can and should be. That's the way we're going to define vision this morning. We would all agree, wouldn't we, that we tend to get distracted by the right now. I mean, life comes at you pretty hard, right? And you've got issues, you've got problems, you've got crises in your life, all these things, and they tend to cause us to get our, our vision blocked, or maybe we get a little blurry on what God desires for us to do. And so we need to fight and work hard to see beyond the right now, which tends to fight against vision, and see what should and can be in our life, in our church, in a company, all of those things need vision. It was a little over three years ago when I became the senior pastor here at Princeton Bible Church. Some of you that were here then um, remember that. And one of the things that we did 
was we, we tried to become very clear on who we were and what we were trying to accomplish. And so we developed a, a vision statement, a purpose statement, a mission statement, whatever you want to call it, that clearly defines who we are as a church and what we're trying to do. And it goes like this. We want to help people, Dave, I think this is a slide, we want to help people live a radically transformed life through the simple truth of loving God, loving people, and serving others. That's what we're about. That one sentence uh, statement defines who Princeton Bible Church is. We understand that we live in a complex world, and it's becoming more and more complex all the time. So many things pulling us so many different directions. And so our focus was to simplify life, to help us to focus on the right things, the priorities of life. And those priorities are loving God, loving people, and serving others. That's what we're about. That's what we encourage you to be about. Because we feel like those are the things that life is truly supposed to be about. And those, those simple truths are based upon three simple statements that Jesus made in the Gospels. Let me review these with you. The first one is about loving God. And it's in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38. This is a familiar passage, I'm sure, to most of you. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. This guy comes to Jesus. He says, hey, which of the, uh, uh, which of the laws is the most important one? And there were over 600 of them at, at, that they had to live in accordance with. And Jesus says, let me tell you what it is. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This, he says, is the first and great commandment. In other words, this is your priority. This is what your life needs to hinge upon. Loving God. Learning to love Him more and more every day. So, one of our simple truths is we need to be changed as we grow in our love for God. The second one is found in the very next verse, in verse 39 of Matthew 22, about loving people. And it says, And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So this guy doesn't really ask Jesus for this information, but he goes above and beyond, as he typically did. And he says, well, I'm not only going to give you the, the number one priority, but let me give you the number two. And that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when he says neighbor, he doesn't mean just the person that lives next door to you. He really is talking about anyone that you come in contact with in your life. So from this, we said our second simple truth is we need to love people. We need to be growing in our love for people. And then there's a third simple truth, and that is to serve others. Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 and 27, Jesus, again speaking, says, Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. I love this passage. Because Jesus just goes right in the face of culture. In fact, right before this, he says, look, the world says that, that you are determined to be great if you have people serving you. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way it works in my kingdom. You want to be great? And I think we all do. I think everybody in the world wants to be great. We want to be significant. We want to know that our life matters. And Jesus says, if that's the case, if that's what you want, you need to make yourself a servant. You need to serve other people. You want to be chief? Be servant. Everything that we do 
in this church goes to support those three simple truths. If there's something that comes across our path, and if it doesn't help in one of those three areas, we don't do it. And as long as I'm pastor of this church, our church will be about this. We won't deviate from that. We will be about these simple truths. With all that said, let me take just a few minutes this morning to share with you some of the new and exciting things that are going to be part of our church culture this year that are going to help support this vision statement of helping people live transformed lives through these three simple truths. So let me just talk about them and break them up in terms of these three areas. First, let's talk about the loving God area. We might also call this upreach. We're reaching up towards God. We're trying to grow in our relationship with Him. We're trying to grow in our love for God. So let's talk about that area first, because I think it is the most important one. You know, as part of that, Um, as part of that area of our church, I want to talk just for a couple of minutes about facilities, where we meet, a church building, if I could. Whenever I meet someone new, and and if they don't know who I am or what I do, typically the conversation goes like this. They'll say, hey, Brad, what what do you do for a living? I'll say, you know, I'm a pastor. Sometimes they mishear me and think I say passer. I don't know, they think I'm a quarterback or something. <laughs> You're a passer? What? I'm a pastor. Oh yeah, what church? Princeton Bible Church. And inevitably, the next question is, where's that? And I see their mind searching central New Jersey. Have I ever driven past Princeton Bible Church? And of course my answer is usually the same. It's, well, we meet on the campus of Westminster Choir College. Those questions, and I understand where they're coming from, and many of them aren't churched people, but that question really shows me a flawed understanding of what the church is. Church is not a building. It's not a building. You are the church. The people are the church. It's not about a building. In fact, our philosophy at this point in time in our church's history is this. We desire to be a church without walls. A church without walls that's not constricted to what happens within a structure on a Sunday morning. You know, I think it's interesting that the The true answer to where is Princeton Bible Church? The real answer is, we're in Princeton. We're in Plainsboro. We're in East Windsor. We're in West Windsor. We're in Kingston. We're in Ewing. We're in Lawrenceville. We're in Montgomery Township. You get my drift? Wherever you live is where Princeton Bible Church is. South Brunswick, I forgot. I see somebody in the back going, come on, man. You forgot. <laughs> I always leave South Brunswick out. You are the church building. I was in Europe last summer. And if you've ever been to Europe, one of the things you have to do is you have to go and visit the cathedrals, right? Most of them aren't used hardly at all. But if you can't make it to Europe, it can be kind of expensive. 
You could just walk about an, a mile from here on the campus of Princeton University, and there's an absolutely gorgeous church. I mean, you walk in. I remember the first time I went in there, I was like, whoa. Mouth dropped open. Beautiful arching ceilings, wonderful architecture. The sculptures are beautiful and gorgeous. It's breathtaking. All that's great. And I don't begrudge anyone to have a nice building, but here's what I'm more interested in. I am more interested in someone looking at your life and going, whoa, look at that. Look at how they do life. You see, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel built structures. They had the, they had the tabernacle that traveled with them. They had, when they established the kingdom, they had the temple. And God dwelt there. And the nation of Israel would all come there at certain times of the year, and they would worship God in that place. God was there. But something was changed dramatically with Jesus. In fact, now the New Testament says that you and I, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. God no longer dwells in structures. He lives within us. And so our desire as a church, our philosophy as a church, is not to be so focused on building a structure as it is to make sure that we're focused on helping people to build their lives. So that the people around them go, oh my goodness, that's beautiful. That's amazing. Look at that. That is our focus. Now, having said all that, let me say this. I'm not anti-building. Are you kidding me? I've been lugging equipment longer than I have cared to. This morning we wanted a building, didn't we, fellas? It was cold. So I'm not anti-building, but a building is simply a tool to be able to minister more efficiently. And if God ever opens that door and desires for us to do that, then we'll do that. In fact, I mean, we're going to go look at another facility just this week. We are, we are always on the lookout for ways that we can improve what we do here on Sunday morning. But I want you to understand this. At this point in time in our church's history... We're not focusing on that. That's not our objective. Our objective is to help people live radically transformed lives through the simple truth of loving God, loving people, and serving others. That's what we're about. We are a church without walls. And not only because we can't afford one. <laughs> because that's the skeptical, right? I mean, you'd be going, oh yeah, you're just saying that because you can't really buy one right now. Well, that is true. We can't. We can't afford one right now. You guys live here. You know what it's like. But that's, that's not the driving force. Money's never going to determine what we do or don't do. We're doing that because we feel like we can do what we need to do in this facility at this time. So I just wanted to say that because whenever, you know, whenever someone new comes to our church, that's one of the first questions they, they always ask. So I, want you to, I wanted to be very clear about what we're trying to accomplish with respect to facilities. When we're talking about loving God, and in particular, when we're talking about our vision of helping people live radically transformed lives through the simple truth, really, what we're talking about is making disciples. Jesus left the church here. He left believers here on earth 
to help other people become disciples of Jesus. Now, that word disciple may be confusing to you. It simply means follower. They're a student. They're a follower of Jesus. So when we talk about transforming a life or living out the simple truth, really what we're talking about is making a disciple, making a follower of Jesus. Everything that goes on in our church needs to be about that. It needs to be about helping people become better followers of Jesus. One of the primary tools that we have to do that is right here, right now. What we do on Sunday morning is intended to help you become a better follower of Jesus. When I walked up this morning, and I do it every week, I ask you a question, don't I? Are you ready to grow and willing to change? Why do I do that? Because I'm trying to trigger in your mind that I didn't come here just to sit. This isn't a social gathering. We meet here for the purpose of growing in our relationship with God and changing those areas of my life that need to be changed to line up with God's Word. Gathering here on Sunday morning is so important. It's part of the discipleship process. And we're going to continue to do that, obviously. We'll continue to speak into culture with messages that are relevant to where we are in life. The message of of Jesus' good news will never change, but the methods by which we communicate that have to change with culture. And we'll continue to do that. As you come, you're going to be challenged. You're going to be encouraged. But I, I, I always like to remind the people that attend our church that when you come... Come with the right mindset. We are on an official Jesus business. He says, where there are two or three gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. So if I can just get two of you or three of you to come and be serious about connecting with Jesus, that's all I need. Because then we know Jesus shows up. I say that tongue-in-cheek. I'm just kind of kidding about that. But I want you to understand how important it is to come with the proper mindset so that we can all be growing uh, in our relationship with Him. One of the things that we are going to work hard at improving this year in our church when it, with respect to making disciples is more clearly defining the process through which someone goes to become a, a genuine follower of Jesus. Now listen. I understand that everyone's journey is unique. All of us have different challenges, different obstacles to overcome. We all grow at different speeds and in different ways. But what we're trying to do is identify things that we believe need to be occurring in someone's life who really desires to follow Jesus. And one of the things that we've said is that the first steps in that journey are the most important ones. When you first become a a believer in Jesus, that period of time right after that decision is the most crucial time in your life. Think about that in a physical sense. Whenever a baby is born, the most important times in its life are those those first few weeks and months. That's when it's most vulnerable, right? That's when it needs someone to care for it the most until it grows to the point where it can eventually begin to take care of itself. The same is true in a, in a seedling, as a, as a baby tree comes up or grass comes up. When is it most vulnerable? During that initial stage of growth. 
And the same is true in the life of a believer in Jesus. The most important period of time in that person's life are those initial few months. And so what we want to do is help people get started on the right foot in their journey with Jesus. One of the things that we unveiled a couple of months ago was a new believer's table. And we're going to have that up more frequently. It's going to have a packet of information for anyone who's come to know Jesus during one of our services. Or maybe they're a new believer and they just need some guidance in their life. They can stop back at that table. We'll we'll happily give them one of the packets. We'll talk with them. We'll guide them in whatever way we can so that they can get started on the right foot in this journey with Jesus. One of the other things that you're going to see happening in a couple of months is we're going to begin offering another class, a, a, what we're calling the foundations class, which is going to help people lay those, those building blocks in their, in their Christian walk to help them to understand what the Bible says about some very important things with respect to their Christian life, to lay the proper foundation, begin to build on that foundation in the proper way. In a few weeks, we'll be unveiling more about that. Basically, we want to give people the tools that they need to grow in their walk with Jesus Christ so that they can truly be transformed. Loving God, upreach. The next part of that is loving people. Let's call that inreach. How we inreach, we love one another. I don't have a great deal to say about this because there's not a lot of visible out there changes that are going to take place in this area of our church. But the one thing I will just briefly mention are small groups. I know Ernie announced that this morning and uh, talked about, uh, if if you're interested, see if you can connect in one of our small groups. Listen, having those kinds of relationships, those, those more intimate relationships in your Christian life are crucial, absolutely vital. Listen, this church is small. I understand that. But even in a church our size, where you've got 40 or 50 adults, you need a smaller group that you can really connect with. Think about, I want you to think about Jesus. He had, he, he had a multitude that followed him, right? He had people in and out all the time, throng of people around him. He had a concentric circle inside of that of about 70 people that kind of were in his sphere of influence. And then he had another smaller circle, which are commonly called the disciples, the twelve. But even within that, he had another smaller group, Peter, James, and John. Those three guys, he would take aside and do different things or special things. He would let them in on things that were going on that he didn't let the other nine in on. And, and, and if you think about it, if you look at the, at the Gospels, in particular if you read the Gospel of John, you see that there was really one that had an unbelievably special relationship with Jesus, and that was John. He's called the one whom Jesus loved, the one that laid his his head upon the breast of Jesus and listened to the heartbeat of God. Think about that for a moment. We need that kind of connection. We need to connect with people, and so small groups are a huge part of what we do. Now, as I said, many of the changes that are going to take place in this part of our church aren't going to be visible to you, but they'll be behind the scenes. The way that we interact with the leaders of groups, the way that we train the leaders, the way that we start new groups, those things are going to be improved. They're going to be changed. 
And so one of the things that is going to be happening, you know what my goal is for small groups? I, my goal is that at some point in our very near future, that we'll have groups meeting at, on every day of the week throughout the central New Jersey area. That's my goal, is that we'll have enough people connecting in groups, that desire to connect in groups, that we'll have one going every day of the week. Let's move to the third area, and that's serving others. We've talked about upreach, loving God, inreach, loving people, serving others. We're going to call that outreach. Outreach. How we outreach beyond the walls of the playhouse. How do we do that? There's three different ways that we do that. The first thing I'm going to talk with you briefly about is personal outreach. Personal outreach. One of the, one of the areas um, that Jesus has called us to is to be an influencer of people. He's left that in our charge. That's not the job of the pastor only. That's not the job of the deacons or the elders in the church. That's the responsibility of every follower of Jesus. He wants you to be an influencer of people. You know what it comes back to? It comes back to being the church instead of going to church. Do you see the distinction between those two things? Being the church instead of going to church. You are the church wherever you are. Whether you're at work, whether in your house, whether at the soccer field with your kids... Wherever you are, you are the church. You're called to be an influencer of people. Jesus has left the gospel, the good news, in our hands. He went back to heaven and he gave the charge to his followers of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, here guys, it's up to you to take the good news to the world. What an awesome responsibility. What an awesome privilege, though. And here we sit, 2,000 years later, as a result of what those individuals did with that responsibility. But that responsibility has carried on even to us. Now, if I could just be really frank with you for a moment. Our church, we don't do a very good job in this area. We just don't. And, and you know what? I don't say that to make you feel bad. In fact, I take full responsibility for that. Because that's, I think, a reflection of leadership. But I can promise you this. We are going to do a better job of personally outreaching to those people that God places in our life. It is going to change. We are going to ask God to increase our burden for people who don't know Jesus. We're going to ask him to give us a heart for those people that don't have a relationship with God. I think we'll only do that as we're growing in our upreach, as we're growing in our love for God. If I don't love God, I'm not going to love people the way I should. That's just the way it works. But we're going to ask God to increase that burden in our life. We're also going to ask God to increase our boldness so that we'll be more bold. I'm not talking about being brash, arrogant, or beating people up. But I am talking about unashamedly declaring what we believe to be the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, undoubtedly, you're sitting here this morning, and if you're like me, that makes you extremely nervous. Me too. The standing joke right now is that we are the church of the introvert. And so, kind of stepping out... And putting myself on the line 
to share my faith with someone, sometimes that makes us go, I get it. I understand that. I feel that way too. But we're going to ask God to stretch us in this area of our life. If there's ever an area of our life where we need to be stretched beyond our comfort zone, it's this area where we kind of take that risk. We step out and share our faith with someone else. Let me tell you something I think will help, and that is this. We're going to do this together. You're not alone. Sometimes we get all worked up and nervous about that because we feel like we're out on this island all by ourselves. That's not the case. We're going to do this together. And as a church, as the leaders of this church, we're going to attempt to give you the tools that you need to make you more comfortable and efficient at sharing your faith. And I think that as a result of that, you're going to grow as you do that. There is nothing, nothing, and and I'm not, that's not a preacher exaggeration. There is nothing more exhilarating in life than knowing that God used you to help someone else cross the line of faith. Nothing. To know that an eternity was changed as a result of something that God allowed you to be part of. And so I want each of us to experience that, to know that we play a part in that. Personal outreach. The second area is communal outreach. Communal, in the community. We do this as a church. Now listen, I, I, I told you we didn't do a very good job in the first one. This area, I think we do a great job. We, as a church, especially for a church our size, do an unbelievable job of reaching out and ministering in the community. And that's going to continue. As a church, we are going to continue to be involved in projects, strategic projects in the communities that we live in. Whether that's something like a green project where we help clean up a park or do something like that, or it's something like our fireman's barbecue that we've been doing the last couple of years in the fall. We are going to continue to minister in the community with no strings attached. I'm not talking about going out standing on a street corner and hitting people with a Bible when they walk by. I'm talking about ministering to needs in the community, real needs, whether it's poverty, homelessness, issues with hunger, ministering in some place like the Crawford House where ladies are struggling to overcome addictions. We are going to minister to legitimate needs with no strings attached. I think it's interesting in the... In the in the book of Acts, which is really a book of church history, the very first church in Jerusalem, it says that they had favor with God and with man. In other words, they were good citizens. For too long, the church has kind of lived in its ivory tower and yelled down to people below, Hey, come up here, it's great. We're not going to do that. We're going to get right down in the muck with them. And help them in any way we can. We're going to get our hands dirty. As we attempt to minister in the community. We have personal outreach. We have communal outreach. And the third one I want to talk with you about this morning is global outreach. God has called us to make a global impact. 
As he left in Matthew 28, he says to his disciples, Go ye therefore into all the world. Now I want you to think about that statement. Now we read that here in 2010. Got to get used to saying that. And we think, we think that's daunting, right? There's six billion plus people in the world. But I want you to think about that kind of a statement made back then. Without the ease of travel that we have, the ease of communication, all the things that make it so much easier for us to connect with people on the other side of the world. But that charge stands. It's, it's for us right here. God desires for us to be a church that's globally minded. If, if you've been in churches during your life, you, you may have heard it referred to as missions. Where people are sent around the globe to minister in different cultures, to help people in those cultures. Right now, our church, we're supporting four different missionary families, which I think is great. For a church our size, that's awesome. And they're ministering in different parts of the world. In fact, our board is so committed to building a globally-minded church that we have made a commitment to have our budget, 10% of our annual budget, be dedicated toward global missions. Now, we're growing to that point. We're increasing our commitment to missions by 1% every year. So this year, we're at 3%. 3% of our budget is going to missions. And we're going to increase that until we're tithing, until we're giving 10% of our annual budget to missions. Not only that, we've also made a commitment that says, if we, if we bring in more than what we budgeted for the year, 25% of that overage is going to go right to missions. We are committed as a board, and I think as a church, to supporting what God wants done around the world. God, I think God has a heart for missions, and I think that he desires for us to have that heart as well. We live, we live in a country at a time, and I know there are people from all over the world here this morning that have a different perspective, but if you're a typical Westerner, you are very isolated <laughs> and very shallow in your thinking of about, of about what goes on in the rest of the world. And so I want to broaden our mind in that respect. If you were, if you were brought up in church, you've seen this. Tell, uh, tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think I am. If you were in a church that had supported missions, you had somewhere in the church, somewhere, there was a map of the, of the world. And on that map were little pins stuck in the mat. Right? You've seen this. There's a map of the world, and if you had a missionary in a particular country, you got to put a thumbtack in that country or a little flag or something that denoted, hey, we support someone in some way in that part of the world. Nothing wrong with that. But we're going to take a little bit different approach as a church. Again, we already support four missionaries, mostly in, in the European and Northern Africa area. But we're going to change our approach a little bit, and we're going to focus on a particular people group. Instead of having a world map that we drag in every Sunday, it would get beat up anyway, and having little thumbtacks stuck all in it, we're going to, as a church, own a particular group of people, an unreached group of people that we're going to pray for, 
that we're going to support missions in that area. And I think this will make us more effective in what we do. In missions, there's this window that's referred to as the 1040 window. Some of you may have heard of this. And what it is, it's a window that's, that goes from 10 degrees above the equator to 40 degrees above the equator. And it makes this rectangle uh, in, in basically northern Africa, the Middle East, and then into the Orient and into to parts of Asia. And in that window live most of the unreached people in the world. That's where they all live. Most of them live. And so what we're going to do as a church is we are going to own a people group in that window. Here's what God's laid on my heart. I think God desires for us as a church to make an impact in India. I think that's what God wants us to do. Now, I know that's a mouthful. I mean, you're talking about, what, just just a billion or so people. But God has really laid that upon my heart to try and make an impact there. Now, that that focus, India is a big country with a lot of people, with a lot of different demographics. I understand that. I'm not naive. And that our focus may narrow as God opens doors and closes others. But right now, I want you to know that our focus is going to make an, be to make an impact there. Why are we doing this? One, well, because God burdened my heart about it. And I'm praying that he'll burden yours as well. The second reason we're doing it is because we have contacts there. We know people that are ministering there, and we feel like that we can uh, learn from their experience and we can help them in some way. And here's a third reason, and I think this is a huge reason, is because of where we live. This is not a culture that you're unfamiliar with. You live next to people from, from Indian people. You work next to Indian people. You're sitting in church next to people from India. This is not a culture. And so I thought, if there's a people group that we can try and minister to that's on the other side of the world, but also right next door, it's that people group. I think that will help us tear down some of the prejudices that exist, honestly, and will give us a heart, not only for people that are on the other side of the world, but people who live right here with us. And so God is going to do something, I think, very special in that respect as he opens those doors around the world. How can you be involved? We'll have more information about this, but there's three basic ways. One is prayer. We are going to pray that God would do something extraordinary in India. You can obviously help by financially supporting. I told you what we're doing as a church. That's coming right out of our general budget, and it's going right into missions. But that doesn't preclude you from giving above and beyond and supporting some area of missions as well. And the third thing that we'll do eventually is we're going to do hands-on support. As God opens doors, we're going to go there. And if, if, if we can be of help, if we can benefit someone that's there by going and ministering uh, with them or to them, we're going to do that as well. So that's a big shift in the way that we're going to approach God's global mission to reach the world. It's got to be balanced, guys. We need all three. We need personal the people you work with, the people you live next to, the people your kids are on soccer teams with, those people that don't know Jesus are just as important as someone in Africa or India or the Middle East. We need that. We need communal, a little bigger picture, right? But we also need the global 
emphasis. And so as a church, that's what we're going to do. Let me close this way and challenge you in a couple of ways. The first one, let me let me let me let you know this. This isn't really a challenge, but let me know that if you have questions or if you need clarification on anything, or if you have a thought, I I would love to hear that. I would love your input. I really would. I I don't sit here claiming to have all the answers. I'm not dictating to you what it is that we have to do, and we have to do it this way, we have to do it my way. That's not it at all. I, I want your input. But understand that we're always going to be about the simple truth. That's, that's, what, we, that's what we fall back to. We're never going to deviate from that. But let me challenge you in, in these two ways. I, I want you to, to begin praying, if you would, that God would do a miracle here in central New Jersey and allow us to be a part of it. Would you begin praying that with me? That God would do a miracle here in central New Jersey and allow us to be a part of it. My prayer life has changed dramatically in the last couple of months. You know what I used to pray for? God, grow our church. God, bring us more people. I stopped praying that. Because I saw the selfishness in that prayer. And I've come to the point now where if lives are being changed and eternities altered, I don't care if it happens at a Princeton Alliance church or Westerly Road or any other church in the community. It's that important. The mission isn't about PBC getting bigger. The mission is about lives being changed. And so my prayer now is just what I gave you. God, do a miracle here. Change lives in a dramatic way. And, and let us be a part of it, if you would, in some fashion, in some way. So that's the first challenge. Begin praying that with me, if you would. The second one is, is related to, to that, and that is giving feet to what we're talking about, and that's participation. This, this is not my church. It's not Laura's church. It's not the deacon's church. This is your church. And I want to challenge you to be involved. Spiritual growth is so, about so much more than simply coming and sitting and soaking. It's not about information. It's about application and transformation. And one of the best ways that that occurs in your life is when you get involved and you do something. You take what you've been given and you participate. Maybe that would involve you participating financially. Maybe it would involve more of you participating in something that happens on a Sunday morning in ministry or something that goes on during the week or getting involved in a group or leading a group. But whatever it is, whatever God is placing upon your heart, I want to challenge you not only to pray, we're going to do that, but also to participate, to get involved, to help us fulfill the vision that God has given us as a church. And I think if we'll do that united, I think, I think honestly, and I'm not exaggerating, I think we can be involved in changing the world. I really, really believe that. Again, I want to, I want to draw your attention back to the 12 guys that Jesus left this all up to. <laughs> they were a bunch of B-teamers. They were. 
they were nothing special. I mean, they were fishermen and tax collectors and who knows what. And they literally transformed history because of their faithfulness to the call that Jesus placed in their life. In that sense, I guess they're special. But I want you to understand something. Don't look at the right now. Remember what vision is. Don't get distracted by what's in front of you right now and go, wow, well, man, these are big goals. And look, look around. I mean, we've got you know, 40, 50 people. What, are, what can we do? See what should and can be. That's the vision piece. I think that that, if we can do that, I think God will do something really, really special. And whether or not we get beyond 50 or 100 or 150 or 500 or 5,000, that's not the issue. The issue is our lives being changed, radically changed, as we grow in our love for God, our love for people, and our service to other people. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing. And I thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing around the world. Lord, I pray together we would be united in our desire to fulfill the calling that you've placed upon each of us. Lord, help us to grow in our love for you, our love for people, and our service to other people. As we begin this new year, it feels like a fresh start. And I pray that we would more than ever be committed to growing in our relationship with you. I pray that you would do a miracle here in central New Jersey and that you would allow us to be a part of it. We don't deserve that, but we ask that you would be gracious to us and allow us to be a part of seeing lives changed, people helped, eternities altered. Lord, we pray for our, our impact in the community. Open doors, show us needs that need to be met in the community. Lord, also clarify our vision for a global impact. Show us how to minister, not only here, but around the world. Help us to be faithful to pray for what you're doing in India. Father, I, I pray that this vision would come to pass, that we wouldn't be distracted by the here and now, but that we would be able to see what can and should be. And Lord, we'll give you all the honor and glory. If this happens, it's not going to be because of any one individual or any group of people. It's going to be because of you. You alone can alter lives. We are simply surrendering ourselves to you, desiring to be used as your instruments, desiring to be obedient to whatever it is that you are asking us to do. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. All in the name of Jesus. Amen.